Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. It's a Thursday, which means we have another guest. Today, we have Fresca Chavez, who most of you will probably know better as Confessions of a Pastor's Kid over on Instagram. She's also got a podcast and she's doing great stuff. We've got to know each other over the last few months and um, it's just always fun to connect with another pastor's kid who has a similar journey um, with with some big overlaps and, and they just get the crazy world of growing up as a pastor's kid. It, it's a it's a weird one for sure. And so I'm excited for this conversation. Before we get started, as always, um, if you want to support what I'm doing, you can do that over on Patreon. Um, it's patreon.com slash Phil Drysdale, or you can go to phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, as a thank you, you get access to a private online community. We have amazing conversations over there about all kinds of things surrounding deconstruction, you know, different types of spirituality, atheism, agnosticism. We talk about relationships. We talk about how marriage changes through deconstruction. We talk about polyamory. We talk about raising kids. We talk about how to talk to our family members. We also talk about UFOs and aliens and woodwork and climbing and 110 other different things. Um, and so it's a really lovely community over there. If you'd like to uh, join that um, and support what I'm doing, um, you know, by producing these free podcasts, resources, talking with people and helping them on their journey of deconstruction, all of that I do for free. All of it is um, a very full-time gig for me. And so I do solely live off the, the donations of people um, and, and it makes a huge difference. Um, but of course, it would be wonderful to have you in that group. Uh, we, we also do regular Zoom calls and voice chats uh, throughout the week and things like that. Um, it'd be wonderful to have you in there. If you are deconstructing and you're looking to connect with people more in person and locally, I'd encourage you to check out the deconstructionnetwork.com as well. It's a free resource and helps you find people in your local area who are going on that journey of deconstruction. It makes such a difference having people that get what you've been through, get what you're going through, um, and you can click with, you can connect with, you can laugh with, you can cry with, um, you know, someone you can go get a drink with um, or have around to the house once it's COVID friendly. Um, and yeah, it just makes a big, big difference um, having some camaraderie in this journey. It can be so isolating and so alone, but it doesn't need to be necessarily. So do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com if you haven't already. All right, let's dive into the conversation with Fresca Chavez, Confessions of a Pastor's Kid. Thank you for coming on. I, I'm excited. It's, <laughs> it's always fun to talk to someone else that has um, been a pastor's kid because okay. every pastor's kid has different experiences. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But we've got some similarities that, you know, you could, you just see a pastor kid across the room, you find out they're a pastor kid and you're yeah. like, I know, I know. On some yeah. level, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's so yeah. I didn't I've, know. I didn't know you were a pastor's kid. I didn't even know you were in you in the UK. I thought you were in Canada for some reason. Do you get mistaken for that a lot? Uh, not a lot, but more than I would have thought. People are like, "Oh, maybe Canadian." Um, I don't know what that is because my accent is all over the place. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like this quasi blend of Scottish and American, and so yeah, I guess people oh, okay. are just like, "Oh, maybe Canadian." Um, but yeah, <laughs> did you people used to know live I'm in California? Here. Yeah. I lived up in the in the north. Um, I was in Reading as part of um, Bethel. And oh, okay. I, I don't know if you're familiar you with You were part of Bethel? Yeah, big whoa, time. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know much about you. I feel bad. No, I'm it's in all California. Good. I'm in okay. California. Where, where about are you? In I, Central. I, I felt like you were. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm in yeah. Bakersfield, but um, it's like okay. Central Valley. It's like two hours north of LA. But I yeah, grew I up Bakersfield. in- Bakersfield. 
Yeah, I grew up in Fresno, the the armpit of California my whole life. So Right. Well, do you know what? That's why I thought you were in California, because in my head I was like, Fresno. And I'm like, no, it's just like somehow I crossed the wires if your name is Fresca. And I was like, ah, oh, it's a bit like Fresno. And I was like, you must be from California. I, somehow That's... all that was happening behind the scenes that made <laughs> no, you're, me not... you're from California. And I'm like, that's just because you somehow are thinking Fresno, which is like obscure, a small town in the middle of nowhere yeah. anyway. Um, I'm laughing because you're not far off at all. That's exactly why my father named me Fresca because- That's so, so funny. So uh, Filipinos, they like to make up their children's names for some reason. Okay. And so I was born in Fresno, California. And so that's why my name is Fresca. So he took the N-O off Fresno and basically replaced it with C-A. So um, wow. I'm Fresca because I was born in Fresno, California. So it's it's so funny that you kind of thought about that. That's You know what that is? That's my Bethel prophetic gifting. That's what that is. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> How long were you there? Four years. I was there a while. Okay. I was, I was pretty uh, in deep. So yeah, I, I, I definitely, wow. yeah, was there for sure. Because it, I have a... Yeah. I have a best friend. I have a best friend that um is still trying to get into their um I don't know what to call it, like magic school. <laughs> school of supernatural <laughs> witchcraft and wizardry. Yeah. <laughs> no, what no really. What did they call it? Do they call it like supernatural school or something? It's the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Yeah. Wow. It's off- if you were to pick a Bible school that was Hogwarts, it's definitely as close as you're going to get. Like, it's like, wow, uh, like, they are like, definitely. Thing is, though, uh, I don't know, like, this, they don't do that much supernatural stuff in the school. They, like, they do, but that's not a focus at all, which really surprised me. Because mm-hmm. I, when I went there, I was like, I want to see some shit. Right. I want to see people yeah. healed and do that. And you do kind of see all kinds of amazing, crazy, weird stuff, like for sure, like constantly. I have like such a weird long list of like crazy stuff that I'm like, I don't even know what to do with that. I'll just put that to the side. Let's keep going. <laughs> I've seen but, videos. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy. There's always something crazy going on. Um, but yeah, like it's, I mean, they do a lot of stuff on leadership and relationships and how to like, you know, connect with people and lots of pretty good life skills, to be honest with you. Most yeah, of yeah. the ways I've become a fairly rounded person. I can thank Bethel for most of it. Um, and oh, so, yeah. you know, uh, I'm like, yeah, pretty cool school, actually. I, I would, if you were like well into charismatic Christianity and you were still quite conventional in your faith, I'd be like, yeah, go to Bethel. It's probably going to be good for you. I mean, if you're going to be in that world, Bethel's as good as place as any. I mean, you're probably going to have to be like kind of full on alt-right politically and you're going to have to be whatever, but I'm like, you're probably all those things anyway. So yeah. sure. Go to mm-hmm. Bethel. That's fine. Um, but I think anyone that's on the path of deconstruction, I've had people that are like, Ooh, should I go to Bethel? And I'm like, no, smoking? no, do not do that. Don't, but that's like saying, should I, you know, go to Southern Baptist, you know, church, you know, it's like, probably not if you're deconstructing, no. this is just not like a really kind of the right place. Um, uh, so yeah, that's funny. So your, your friend's trying to get in. Yeah. She's trying to move her family there. And wow. I haven't that's told awesome. her, actually, I haven't told her about my deconstruction story, but okay. it's, it's funny. Cause yeah, I'm, I grew up with Christians my whole life. So yeah, I'm still very heavily involved and know people who are still very much, very evangelical, yeah. very Christian. And, and so I don't know, 
it's interesting. I'm slowly starting to tell my friends. And I think that the people that mean the most to me are the, the friends that have known me when I was like super Christian and on fire for Jesus and read my Bible. Like, I feel like those are the people that I feel the most kind of insecure about telling because they knew me as someone else. So sharing with them how much I've changed is, is yeah, it's going to be a little weird and awkward and they're going to be like, I don't know who you are anymore. And I'll be like, yeah, I don't know yeah. either. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's That's a hard thing to do. It's, it's the same dynamic when you go back to be with your family after living away and you come back and you almost regress internally yourself because there's something mm -hmm. weird about being so different from who you used to be. And they, they know the the worst side of you, the most regressive side of you, the whatever side that is, that is like, hi, family, me. Um, it's a weird dynamic going back to where you came from. And I feel like there's, there's some weird dynamic as well of like, there's a greater fear of rejection on some level, or I don't oh, know yeah. what it is, but like, it's Absolutely. like, they really know me. If they're rejecting me, they're really rejecting me. Um, yeah. Which is quite funny because probably actually it's like, much less that they're rejecting us because they don't know us at all in some ways anymore right because <laughs> there's a, some distance between those two potentially um sure but yeah sure. It's, it's a weird one wow so yeah, are, well, are we yeah, gonna have to undercover to, this podcast uh -huh. we're gonna have to like use a pseudonym oh. or something i'll cut no, no, the no, bit no, where we talked about fresco <laughs> <laughs> no it's actually fine i don't know um i've already so on this in the even in the beginning of this whole journey when i started this Instagram. And when I started this podcast, I really felt, well, I mean, to be, to put it bluntly, I've already been kind of like the black sheep of the family, kind of like shunned to the, put to the side of my family already for a few years now. So I'm not, I, it's not like, no, I haven't exactly told all of my family. I definitely haven't told my pastor dad. Um, right. But then even with him, I wasn't talking to him for, I didn't talk to him for like three years. And then wow. I had my, it wasn't until I had my second child that he started talking to me again. And so we're just, we're civil. We're like acquaintances. I don't know. I I call him on Christmas. So it's right. kind of that relationship. So I'm not in, I'm not around. I don't know. It's fine. I, <laughs> I don't know how that conversation would be like. And I think it would be really scary if I did tell my dad my mm. my deconstruction journey. Absolutely. I would like, I think I would die, but <laughs> I don't know. But I don't know. He's not in my life. So I'm not, I don't know. Yeah. It's a weird one with it. pastors as well. I think anyone like when considering telling their parents, they're going through that process of going like, okay, what would they be like? How will they respond? And that's hard. Rick's it's family. We love them. Like even in estranged and complex situations, there's some sort of bond there where you're like, I don't want them to hate me or for it to blow up. But there's a weird component when your parents are pastors, mm -hmm. it's like, you've probably seen how they talk about people that walk away. They, they, <laughs> how they talk about someone that says, Oh, I'm not so sure about my belief. Like we've been behind the scenes where they come back from that meeting and they're sitting around the dinner table and they're like, well, Bob, he just never really believed. I always said like, whatever, or, you know, or, or whatever it is, yes. right. The, the, the different ways. And so on some level, we really know what that looks like potentially. And maybe it is different. Maybe, right. It's your, well, it's like daughter, like, I gotta like you know maybe I don't know some people maybe surprise us but on some level it feels like I kind of know this conversation because I've 
witness this conversation when other people have done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's so many things I could say about that. But I guess I don't feel like I'm doing anything um like courageous or brave because I've already been shunned from my family. So I say that because I feel like for people who are deconstructing and they're still living in their parents' house, maybe, and they're still very mm -hmm. involved with their family, like they need their family either financially or maybe they need their family because um, the in-laws like watch their children or whatever. They're like very invested in their families. I feel like yeah. those people who deconstruct, they are the courageous ones. They're the ones They're that heroes. are really brave. And I can't imagine going through that if I was still involved with my family. Like that is hard. So yeah, yeah I commend those people a lot. <laughs> For real. I talk to those people daily. People are like, hi, I live with my parents. Yes. What should I do? And I'm like, dude, start saving, get out yes. as soon as possible. But I get that's going to be three years. So in the meantime, like here's some lists of things you could do, but dang, that is going to suck. And talked to one girl a couple of weeks ago and she like, she's financially, like she has only ever worked as part of her parents' company as well. And like, it's mm. just like, you're so in, right? So your finances are there. You could lose your job. So you might not just get kicked out of the house. You might actually lose your job as well. So now yeah. I'm kicked out of the house and I've lost my job. That's a bad combo, right? I can maybe do one of those two things, but both at the same time is like, no yeah. go and so you're left really going, hard i guess i lie to everyone i know and don't ever let anyone see the real me and it's like oh kill me like that that, that that's a horrible yeah. thing to have to live with so you're right those people are just my heroes they really are <laughs> yeah yeah well i feel like i definitely did that though like survived throughout um high school and college but in different reasons not because i didn't want to be a christian anymore but just because of the way my parents raised me in like very legalistic fundamentalists and so not only being very religious but also being strict asian parents i i tell people mm. i feel like i got a double whammy by having very strict um asian parents but also very strict religious parents growing up right. so yeah <laughs> what what kind of um denomination were they from what was the background so, uh, it was Southern Baptist, actually. Okay, perfect. So, yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, um, it's interesting because I was—I'm a third, I'm a second or third generation Southern Baptist. Um, wow. Southern Baptist missionaries went to the Philippines, of course, mm -hmm. and um, converted some Filipinos from Catholicism <laughs> to being Southern Baptist, I guess. And it's interesting because on my my mother and my father both grew up in Southern Baptist churches, and actually, wow. my mom. My, my grandpa was actually a Southern Baptist pastor and, and they were actually part of the convention. So I think I remember telling you this, um, when we did another live together, but yeah, mm. the, the Samaritan purse organization, the shoe boxes, the operation Christ Christmas yeah. child shoe boxes actually get sent to, um, the churches in the Philippines where I, my aunts and my cousins still, still attend. So, um, wow. it's interesting that I've, I've been, involved in the convention for my whole life and my parents have been as well and so naturally when my parents decided to come to america my dad was ordained within the southern Baptist convention and then that's when he started church planting filipino churches uh within the central valley of of california so okay. yeah yeah wow. so i grew up yeah so um for the first 10 years from like 
all through the nineties, my dad was a Filipino church planter and um, he would work with other Southern Baptist um, churches. And we would be like the Filipino ministry of this like predominantly white congregation. Like they would give us Mm. like a space or like the fellowship hall to meet, you know, so we worked with a lot of these white evangelical churches. So like, yeah, I had, um, so we would wake up every Sunday morning, like an hour earlier, and we would drive an hour to another rural town. And my, um, my dad's van was basically like a, so when you're like a traveling pastor, you bring your church with you everywhere you go. So mm-hmm. our van had like hymn books, um, music stands, uh, microphones, and <laughs> do you hear that? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to, you can, you can pause sure. if you want, if you want to go. Okay, one yeah. second. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Okay. No, no worries. So you were talking about, um, yeah, your, your dad's okay, van so- being like this church on the go you know like pop-up church kind of thing right yeah absolutely so when you're a traveling pastor or traveling preacher you bring your 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 church building with you in your van so we had like hymn books and music stands and microphones and bulletins and sunday school curriculum like everything that you need for a church would be in our van so that's what we would do my brother and i would um go with our father and my my mom we would travel an hour away to this town on Sunday morning, we would set up the sanctuary. I would pass out all the the hymn books on the chairs. I would fold bulletins. And then, um, and then my dad would have the service. He would preach and my brother would be the pianist and my mom would be the Sunday Sunday school teacher. And, um, and sometimes I would just be like in the beginning of those years, because I was, I was like five or six when we started doing this, I was just like the little girl um, right. running up and down the aisles but yeah later on of course my my father put me to work and and later on I I learned how to play piano too which I wasn't okay. a big fan of but um it was mostly my brother that was the all-star pianist and um but yeah so and we would go to different towns doing that we would actually go to like Bakersfield and Visalia and other rural towns and then um and then so in the evening on Sunday evenings, we would come back to our hometown and then we would have house church. And so we would set up our house with all the chairs and bulletins and hymn books and we would have house church. And so we would have church in the morning and church in the evening. So Mm -hmm. it was pretty busy growing up. (laughs) That's that's full on. And it is, it's full on that life of like, you know, you get up extra early to travel and then it's a whole other early because you're setting everything up and then you're there right at the end because you got to tear it all down and get everything back mm-hmm. in the van and then you got to travel home by the time you've done that it's like we have like time for a really late lunch and then we're basically starting again from yeah. scratch for evening service i always thought this when you were part of churches that were like morning evening service it was like there's no time off in this day like I need like several hours to unwind. I can't unwind in like 30 minutes or something. And you just didn't ever have that window on a Sunday. Like it was just endless. It just felt like it just Mm -hmm. constantly went, but that's, that's full on. Like, did you enjoy that as a kid? Like, did you grow up? Like, I mean, there's something about growing up in a bubble Mm -hmm. where you're, you don't know any different in a lot of ways. Like, did you you envy other people? Like, you know, did you go to a a secular school or anything or were you homeschooled or Christian school? So I 
I went to public school, so I definitely knew okay. the difference between the Christian world and the secular world. Right. And Your friends weren't getting up at like 8 a.m. to go set up a <laughs> church like two hours yeah. away or anything, no? No, I felt really, yeah. I mean, I didn't understand the lifestyle that my parents and my that my parents were were doing until I was like in middle school and I was like oh okay like this is what we do you know and other people yeah. don't do this and and then I started um comparing so my my father was a church planter and he would start up churches Filipino churches but most of the congregations were really small and it was sure. his purpose was to gather other Filipino immigrants that came to America and just like to have a community for them and um, I think growing up, I wish that I actually went to a mega church where there was like a lot of resources, where there was like mm. children's church and like a choir and they had like plays and all these big productions. I think that's what I wished, <laughs> the kind of church I went to growing up. But um, eventually my dad stopped doing that and we we ended up just joining um, one of our mother churches in Fresno. Mm. And then from junior high to high school and college, that's the church that I attended. and it was the church knew us and they worked with us and they, they loved my parents and they loved my brother and I, and it was, it was like diverse, but mostly like, like predominantly white. But, um, but yeah, I was really loved there. And I was, it was a small country church, like 200 people in the middle of grapevines in Fresno. And, um, and growing up, I really did feel loved. Like I did feel like all the little old ladies would, would give me a hug and tell me like I did a good job if I sang special music or whatever and which I did pretty often and it's funny when you're serving at a small church because if you're the only person that knows how to decently sing or play guitar they think right. you're like amazing you are you are a superstar and <laughs> you're a little like kind of like little bubble you are like oh my god someone plays a musical instrument yes this is so much better than yeah. no musical instrument um but yeah it's really funny isn't it and then yeah, yeah. there's definitely that, that i remember when i was at bethel actually it's funny because you, you'd see all these people want to audition to be in the worship band for the school or whatever mm -hmm. but it's so funny right because like i mean bethel is like i mean they're known for their music like massively. yeah absolutely and like their standards are like through the roof and they're not just musical there's a lot of other boxes to tick there um but we don't talk about that um but what's funny is that you would have like 400 people showing up for like 20 spots and it was so funny because you'd see these people that were like oh i'm a rock star back home you know because they could play guitar and they could sing but they show up on a stage and they're singing next to people that are actual rock stars you know what i mean it's just like oh this is painful to watch the dis the difference between these two Oh and you go, oh, this is what happens when you grow up in a little bubble. I'm not saying you were a terrible singer, but no, no, um, that's bad. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm decent. I'm not like, yeah, I'm like, okay, I'm a choir voice. I have a choir voice, but no, I'm, I'm laughing because that's exactly what happened to me. Actually, when I got married, I moved to Bakersfield and that's when I started going to mega churches for the first time right. in my okay. life. And I did audition for the worship team. And then that's when I... I realized I was like, I mean, I knew I wasn't like that, like the greatest, but I did think I was like decent. Like I could play all the, the C, D, F, you know, right. e you chords. The, like, that, four that's or all, five chords required. That's all you need to know. Right. <laughs> and so I remember auditioning for them and I was like freaking out because yeah, it was a huge mega church. Like, um, 
there was like 700 people, not that wow. 700 people were watching me audition, but just like being on that stage, I've never been involved with a church that had like all this production, all these lights and, mm. and, and monitors and everything. And, and then I was freaking out and I was like, okay, I can't really do this. I'm, <laughs> I'm so really, funny. am that, that little pastor's kid from a small country church in the middle of nowhere where I was like loved and people knew me my whole entire life. And now I'm going out to like mega churches and I have like no idea. <laughs> That's so funny. I feel oh, like I was man. the exact opposite experience as being a pastor's kid. We, again, we were like really small churches. My, my parents always ended up being pastors of these tiny churches. And this is in the UK mm -hmm. tiny. So UK tiny church, okay. 10 people. UK mega church, anything over like 200 is a mega church. Really oh, wow. good church doing really well. 60 people plus is a great church right now. Um, hmm. So like totally different environment. And I'm part of small churches, right? So the biggest church my dad was ever like a pastor of was probably like 50 people. Um, and I, I remember distinctly being very conscious of how shit I was at everything. There was nothing I was good at. Like uh, the best Aww. thing I was good at as a teenager was maybe sitting online and watching porn. That was basically it. And there wasn't a big market for that in the church, believe it or not, right? No one was looking for that skill set. <laughs> Um, I, I was, oh I was a pretty God. dysfunctional kid. Where? I wasn't good at anything. And, and what's so, funny is they taught me, like, I, I got music lessons for a keyboard, playing the keyboard mm -hmm. and, and learning the piano. And at some point I got okay. And I'm meaning like slowly pressing like individual keys in the right order, that kind of, okay. I know I'm not good. I know I'm not Coldplay <laughs> or anything good, right? No one's giving me that impression. And yet no one in our church plays any musical instruments and suddenly all eyes turn to phil and they're like phil could play worship songs just you know as we sing along and i'm just like oh god what's happened like that was terrifying to me um i never actually had to do any of that but there was, there oh, was moments good. where i was like i feel like i'm being primed here i think i almost self-sabotaged to avoid that scenario <laughs> I think the church is looking for anyone that can serve in any capacity. Like, oh, Thank you're you. good in public speaking. You should teach Sunday school. Yeah. Like, they're well, well especially yeah, those guess... environments, like what you're talking about there, right? Small environment, not yeah, many people. That's true. The pastor, the pastor's wife, the pastor's son, the pastor's daughter. We're like a four person team. There's no yes. staff. Like, the pastor's not even getting paid right now. Like, we are just trying to get this thing running off the ground. If anyone can do any of this well, please you please write up the bulletin for us and print it off or you please go and i don't know put out chairs like we'll take any help we can get that's very much the small church vibe um and i think a lot of that gets missed in a lot of conversations about deconstruction i think yeah the, the kind of mega church scene kind of takes over and, and it's easy oh. to point fingers at that and go disgusting a lot of it but i think we miss the kind of like rural mom and mm -hmm. pop just genuinely trying to help people right create community for these kind of amazing filipino people that are wanting to mm -hmm. gather around their faith and around their common like um you know background and, and all this different stuff like that's a really right. great thing to be trying to provide and yet it's hard to do on your own right i mean that's yeah tough so if i can draft my kids in probably gonna end up <laughs> doing it right um so. yeah so church ministry is really really hard and i think that um, yeah, it was really discouraging because yeah, a lot of people wouldn't show up and sometimes people wouldn't mm. show up for a service. And like, sometimes some years were really good where we had a lot of people and some years we didn't have a lot of people. And so, um, 
I think there was, and then eventually there was a church split at one point where there was a lot of disagreements and, um, but I think feeling discouraged in ministry is something that I'm very familiar with. And I, Mm. I just like, Oh, I don't want to be a pastor's wife. Like, even though my parents, um, groomed me to be a pastor's wife someday and Mm. they're like, no, you know how to be, you know how to do this in the church. And, and I, I have to, (laughs) I have to, um, so I learned, so basically I'm like, I know how to do church and, or I know like the evangelical way in the Baptist right. way of doing church. I know how you're supposed to dress, how you're supposed to talk, how you're supposed to greet people, how are you supposed to be a good pastor's wife. And sometimes I catch myself when I'm looking at other pastor's wives and I'm like, they're not very friendly. And they didn't ask me like, <laughs> I could do they, a job better than you. Yeah, Like they talked about themselves too much. Like if I'm new in that church, they should have asked me more questions about myself and where I'm from and why I'm, <laughs> you know, like so I catch funny. myself. Like, I can't help but, like, keep critiquing um, um, pastor's wives or, like, churches in general whenever I walk into a church. But, um, which is interesting because I'm actually still going to church with my husband and he's still a Christian and I'm not. And I guess that's, that would be, like, my, my struggle. The, the biggest struggle in my deconstruction story is not necessarily I have to tell my whole family, but I had to tell my husband who mm. is still a Christian and, and we, yeah, we were both Christians when we met and um, when we were dating, I agreed that we would raise our children in church. Yeah. Like, absolutely. I right. um, totally wanted to do that. Um, one second. You can edit all this out, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're fine. You're fine. It's not a problem. Uh, um, so yeah. So you're saying um, about your husband and yeah, you get together and you're both Christian and agreed to raise your kids christian you know there's this no one gets married as christians and almost even thinks about this right on some level like when you're christian you're just like well yeah obviously like yeah i don't know it, it feels like an ambush in a sense when one of your one of you turns around and goes hey i'm not so sure about all this suddenly like yeah i don't right. know it's, it's a big deal right i mean it's yeah so i i know that i i agree to raise our children in church when when even when we were like dating getting to know each other so um so i want to still honor that even though i'm not Mm. a christian anymore and like everyone's deconstruction story is going to be different and everyone who is in a similar situation like me where their spouse doesn't want to be a christian anymore like they're all different but for for me i still feel like um yeah like we both currently (laughs) I want to still work things out and um and and compromise and and it doesn't matter if one of us is a Christian and the other one still is a Christian like there's always going to be in any marriage that you're in there's going to be issues and there's going to be things in marriage that you have to compromise on so I feel like this is just one of those things that in our marriage that we have to learn how to compromise on and I told my husband um, the first time I told my husband that I didn't want to be a Christian anymore was actually last summer when all this stuff was happening, you know, and how the evangelical church was not responding appropriately at all. Mm. And, and, but even then before that, I've been on this journey for a few years now, even before I even knew the term deconstruction, like I was deconstructing before I knew of the term, like most people, sure. you know, and so, um, 
And yeah, I was really scared when I, when I decided to tell him that I didn't want to be a Christian anymore. And I think I just had to surrender my marriage, not necessarily to God, but just like, I wanted to tell him and, and if he wanted to leave me, then I needed to, to like honor that. And because I'm honoring myself (laughs) by being my, my true authentic self. And so I needed, if he wanted to leave me, then I needed to honor that. And so that's how I got to the point where I was like, okay, I have to tell him. And I was super scared, but I told him and that was last summer. So, so far we're still together, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) and it's like, because when you get in, and especially when you grow up in the church, you're taught that divorce is wrong and you have to do everything you can to make things work. And, and I feel like whenever I think about marriage in such a rigid way, I think that's what causes divorce when you like right. hold your marriage so tightly. But I feel like when I hold my marriage, like, not necessarily loosely, but just like open, like I'm open to our relationship changing. I'm open to these outcomes. And in a weird way, it's like, because I'm like being so open in the marriage, I feel like I'm actually making it better by not Mm. like holding on to it so tight and like being so rigid and all these rules and everything. But, um, but yeah, so we, so, and yeah, and it takes two people to compromise, right? It may, it takes right. two people to to be in a marriage, and so so far we have been willing to communicate and and talk with each other about these things. And I think that um, one of the biggest things that has given both of us perspectives during my deconstruction journey is how did we both grow up in the church? Because mm. for me, as a pastor's kid, I grew up always serving in church. And um, not really receiving, as opposed to my husband, who wasn't, he didn't have any um, parents who were like in pastoral ministry or anything like that. He grew up, his mom was a single mom, and um, he didn't have his dad around. And the church loves those situations, right? They just like sure, yeah. count on them, like, come on in, we'll take care of you, you know? And he, um, was one of those kids that always needed like a scholarship to go to like summer camp or conferences and stuff. And so he was on the receiving end of ministry where they took, they brought him in, they took care of him and and just loved on him. And so when we understood each other's, how each other grew up in church, that's when he was able to understand where I'm coming from. And also, he realized that I didn't get to choose this religion. Like I didn't get to choose this path. And so I'm happy that he's able to give me this space to figure things out. And also he said to me early on that he doesn't, he told me, I don't want you to believe in Jesus for me. I want you to believe in Jesus for yourself. And I think that Um, after he said that, that gave me a little bit more hope for our marriage and just our relationship in general that Mm. like, okay, we can communicate, we can compromise, we can um, try to understand where the other person is coming from. And it's been an interesting journey. And like, and like I said, I still go to church with my husband and, but we've, um, I mean, since COVID, we've only gone like three times. Right. And definitely makes it um, easier. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was uh, 
it was um, out of all the things that happened last year, at least not going to church was a good thing. But anyway, um, yeah, so we, I did go to church last two Sundays with him and I, I told him that I was like, I, you know, I, I had to tell him after the second service that I was like, I don't think I'm comfortable going to the worship um, part of the service where they're singing songs. Like, I'm not, I don't think I'm comfortable with that part, but I'll join you in the sermon part. So I actually like the sermon part because then I can write, I can take notes and. Oh, great material <laughs> for all your posts throughout the week, right? Yeah. Like I can write down Absolutely. my notes and what I think, what I disagree with and how they um, took the Bible verse out of context or whatever. <laughs> and so I actually think that's kind of fun. Like I'm, I'm totally fine listening to the sermon, but listening to the praise and worship time, like, oh, I did that two Sundays in a row. And I was like, I think I want to throw up. <laughs> That's so funny. I'm, I'm similar as well. I can't do, I just, I've, even when I was a Christian, I was like, oh, I just don't mm. like Christian worship and, and the worship time. I just did not enjoy it. Um, and now I'm like, I could go back in church. Like, that's fine. Like, I can rock it. Like, I don't have, like, any major trauma with trigger points or anything. But put me in the church worship. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go hide in the bathroom for 40 minutes and just not come yeah. back. And I'll wait till it quiets down and I'll come out. I would rather you think I had yeah. horrible diarrhea for 40 minutes than have to sit in this service during this part portion. <laughs> I will even do the welcome bit where you talk to your neighbor and say hi. And, like, I will do that over the worship bit i just i the worship bit is definitely the yeah. worst part for me I don't, I don't know what that is that it's quite common for a lot of people there's something really yeah. intense and triggering about it for me what, what is that for you so for me it's because i used to rely on this higher power for my my worth and my value right mm. like when you're praising worship when you're praising you're singing songs to god you're like i need you you know i'm i'm nothing without you um you fill the void in my life um like i've been so far away from church i can't even remember any lyrics but basically that's like the gist of it right like yeah like we're it's nothing so without you lord and and it's so like external it's so mm. degrading yourself and looking externally and in my deconstruction journey and in my exploration of other kinds of spirituality I've, I've learned to look within to look yeah. internally within myself so I think that's what triggers me the most is like all these people are like worshiping God and degrading themselves and and seeking yeah. this higher power like outside of them when I'm just like no you can seek it within like you can be empowered you can find that strength and that power within yourself like you don't have to find that outside yourself and so that's why it's really triggering for me like the entire philosophy or spirituality is just so twisted for me in my brain that's why I can't listen to mm. most worship music but no it's interesting because there is a new uh, new Christian musical that came out on Netflix called a week away have you heard of it I saw someone mention it. I don't know if it's on the UK Netflix or not. I, I've oh, not okay. come across it. It's called, what's it called? A Week Away? It's called A Week Away. It's about Christian okay. summer camp, basically. But what's interesting about the musical is that they use Christian contemporary music, CCM songs from the 90s. Oh, wow. So there's uh, Michael W. Smith songs, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Amy Grant, and Audio Journal. And it's like... Um, 
it, it was just like when I was when I didn't know anything about it really when I watched it, but when I started watching right. it and like all these familiar songs came up, I was just like, okay, like this hits totally different because it brings so much nostalgia. It, it could, it brought like good memories, bad memories. That's so interesting. And yeah, it just like, Oh, like hit me in my core. Like it was just supposed to be a cheesy, silly Christian musical, whatever. Right. But then it was like bringing all this like deep, dark nostalgia that I haven't even thought about oh, in wow. years just like all these songs like coming out and I was just like and then I was like crying and I didn't even wow. know why I was crying it was like so silly actually I did a review of it on my podcast and I explained why I'm, I'm crying and everything because I like I didn't know why I was crying but um I was crying because it was like the musical was showing the good parts the fun mm-hmm. parts of 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 Christianity, like summer camp yep. and like war games, making fun of each other and all this stuff. But like, but then I realized like, oh, it's not really like that. It's not really yeah. like, like I used to think it was like that. I used to think it was, this was the best way to live my life. But, um, but now I don't, I don't think it is. And yeah. I think I was just realizing that loss of innocence, like, and, and, mm. and realizing how much like, and, and like I was grieving in a way, like oh, yeah. like I can't yeah. believe like this silly Christian musical was making me cry and grieve and yeah. and feel all these feelings. So I felt kind of like weird feeling that way, but but it was yeah, it, that that musical like really hit me in a different way. And I feel like it would if you grew up on Christian contemporary music. But yeah. what I what I really wanted to say was with Christian contemporary music, like there's a big difference between CCM and Hillsong with Hillsong. You're singing about Jesus. Like every two seconds, you're like saying his name, you're saying Jesus, you're saying God, you're like, Oh my gosh, all these spiritual things. But I, I feel like I could actually listen to some um, Christian contemporary music because they don't mention God or Jesus. Like they don't, it's like, I don't know, a trend in the 90s and early 2000s to like not mention God or Jesus, but like, you know, they're talking about it. Like, um, like mercy me is like, I can only imagine. And um, I actually had a friend who wasn't Christian. Um, she heard that song and she thought it was a love story. And so a lot of the CCM songs, they sound like love songs, right? right? Just yeah, to, yeah. to people. Oh, you can easily play a game like of like, is this a 90s like... <laughs> boy band love song is this is this backstreet boys or is this the i don't know who's a good i'm not the christian music, version i don't like know plus the newsboys versus... or i don't know like <laughs> I, I would who, say it pick, was but... <laughs> yeah there's definitely the equivalent like the equivalent backstreet boys the equivalent of um like the christian version and the secular version right. of the music and I, I think that's why they did that way to attract you know, people into learning more about God was so that they don't say God and Jesus and they make it like really vague, but Christians know that they are talking about God, but a non-Christian wouldn't know. Can we note as well? It's so funny, like, but no one has ever done the Christian version of whatever the secular version is. And it's better. Literally no one in the history of the world has gone, oh, let's try and be the Christian Backstreet Boys. Let's try and be the Christian Coldplay. Let's try and be the Christian whatever never have they been good enough to then people go oh that's actually really good 
other than Christians, <laughs> right? Christians go, well, it's not bad it's for a Christian thing. That's not too bad. But never is a Christian movie, Christian music ever like been like, this is the best thing ever. Non-Christians aren't going, how do we buy your CD? How do we buy your, how do we get this movie? Like a week away, I guarantee is not going to be beating out Hamilton no. for views. You know, like, no, it's, absolutely just, not. it's so funny. Like, I don't know. It just, it cracks me up. Like the way we, that we like, I say we, I mean, I don't Christians, even know, like we, we imitate this to... thing, mm-hmm. but it's so bad. It's just so bad. Like, like <laughs> it is. me and my wife have a thing where like, well, I think it's me and I just drag my wife into it, but I'm like, babe, there's a Sharknado six. We've got to watch Sharknado six. Even if we haven't seen all the Sharknados, you know, that number six, I mean, Sharknado is going to be bad. That's going to be really bad. They made a premise of sharks getting caught in a tornado, going into New York in the tornado and eating people on the streets. That's ridiculous. Then they made five more movies. The sixth movie is going to be ridiculous. Like, I mean, the first one was bad, but six is going to be bad. I put mm-hmm. all Christian movies in the same category. Like, I'm I, I'm like, babe, we got to watch God's Not Dead. Come on. Right. Mm-hmm. So they think, right, some kid goes to high school, uh, goes to college, and there's a lecturer who's proving God doesn't exist. And he is going to save the – I'm like, this is it. I'm here. I'm here for this, like, D-movie craziness like that mm-hmm. is if this was a regular movie that didn't have a christian audience buying it would be immediately like wouldn't even get on tv this would be like straight to vhs like <laughs> bought it, like backstreet markets you know it, mm-hmm. it's it's so bad like christian stuff is so bad it pains me i don't know i'm gonna write but like but it's but it's but it's so bad no, it's yeah. like you're mentioning a week away was it a week away is that what it's called yeah down, that's what it's called watch it. that to me whether it's good or bad, I'm immediately like, I'm in a Christian <laughs> musical. I am so in for that because yeah. it's only getting better by being worse for me. I relish <laughs> like how bad it's going to be. I look forward to pausing it every couple of minutes and saying to my wife, like, what is this? Why? How did that happen? How is that? What are the lines? Whatever it is, I, want, I, I love how bad it is. I want to see your, your what you think about it. I want to see your own review on it. I need to do a review. I need to do a review okay um, yeah I, i'm hoping it's on the uk netflix i don't know if Aww, because we're hopefully. less christiany as a nation i just think like you you do get way more christian stuff i this is how into bad christian uh, media i am okay i would literally sign up for pure flicks if i was if they had that in the uk it's not available do you know what pure flicks oh. is yeah i've heard That's of it i've thing. seen some ads that's actually yeah. a thing and in america there is actually a big enough audience that people are going to pay yeah whatever like nine bucks a month to just watch bad christian movies and i judge them from yeah. afar and then i actually go i kind of like to do that too because it would be so funny <laughs> so yeah i don't know there's it, uh. it's just a whole world i cannot believe but you but you're hitting on something really huge there though talking about your experience watching that, like, I think we can be so black and white when we look back and it's very easy when we, when we've grown up and we've evolved and developed and we look back and go, that's so unhealthy. That's so unhelpful. There's so much toxicity Mm -hmm. in that, but it's not so black and white. It isn't all toxic and it isn't all bad. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's a very childish approach to just write off an entire, like, like no one can be wrong all the time. Like that's impossible. Mm -hmm. No one's smart enough to come up with something that's absolutely wrong all the time and 
there's something about the fact that there are so much goods that we lost in some ways, these communities, yeah. these connections, the friendships, even some of the things we learned, toxic Christianity in the midst of it all taught me how to connect with people better than honestly, a lot of things in school. I wasn't getting any mm -hmm. healthy relationship teachings and help how to connect with people, how to make friends with people at different ages that I would never cross paths with normally. And lots of different things. I learned to do public speaking in church, you know, like exactly. there's different skills and things. And so it's kind of hard, but I think these kind of moments that kind of throw it in your face and you suddenly realize, ah, oh, this thing that I've kind of drawn a line in the sanding on that was just bad and I want to move on and I want to be done with it. I don't want to overly go there. But when you see something and it kind of puts it in your face and goes, hey, but look at these good parts that you kind of miss mm -hmm. on some level. And you haven't really allowed yourself to grieve because you're not even acknowledging it. And suddenly you go, I have to grieve this. I have to grieve that some of this was fun. Summer camp was fun. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. toxic as hell. Go watch uh, Yes, God, Yes to find out some of the weirdness of summer camp, right? Absolutely, yeah. that's unhealthy. But you know what? Kind of fun. A lot of it was kind of fun. I liked sitting around fires and chatting and you know, yeah. feeling like you got to know these people and feeling part of something that you don't really feel like as a teenager growing up a lot of the time or, you know, whatever that is. Like, that is it. I can, I can totally see, like, getting hit with that and going, oh, this is affecting me emotionally and I feel like I'm grieving and upset and yeah. nostalgic. And yet I kind of also hate this. And I'm like, I don't mm -hmm. know what to do with that kind of combo. <laughs> but I think that's a really common thing for us to, to go through. And I think it's a bit, dis, it's, it's very disorientating, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, it was. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I had to write, that's why I had to do an episode just, just talking about the movie because I had like so many different emotions, so many conflicting emotions. I was like, I don't know what to do with this. I need to, I need to talk about this somewhere. I need to put this somewhere. So Yeah. Yeah, because like some someone that like didn't grow up on that music or didn't grow up in the Christian church, they'll be like, they'll just pass it off as just like, okay, that's just another silly, cheesy musical or whatever. But right. someone like me that actually knew the songs and grew up in that environment, it's it's just gonna mm -hmm. hit completely different. Yeah, big time. Yeah. There's so much media right now, like that has undertones of deconstruction within it. Like just regular, you know, you've got like uh yes, God, yes. You've got um, there was um the, the gemstones. The, Have you heard the of gemstones? the righteous yeah, gemstones? Absolutely. Amazing, oh so gosh. good. Yeah, um, but like <laughs> so you, good. you watch it and you're like, okay, I don't know what how big a deal your pastor, your dad got, but my dad, not in that world, right? We were poor yeah. as hell. Like we, right. we redefined poor for our community. You know, poor people um, gave us their secondhand clothes. Like like so, we weren't yeah. the righteous gemstones. We didn't have jets. We didn't have our own theme park. But you watch right. it and you're like, yeah, but some of this shit, this is just crazy. And yeah, I've experienced it's this. It's going seen on it right and, now yeah, in America. Uh -huh. and absolutely, right? You can see it all over America. It's, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's so much there's so much going on. And I think it is tapping into the fact that this is happening in America. People are unraveling their faith. There was um, a TV show. What was it? The Bounty Hunters? What was it? Teenage Bounty Hunters? Did you watch that? It's no, I, I didn't. It's a good fun uh, show. Okay. But uh they're like they're part of this like kind of christian private school they're good christian kids they're talking mm. about purity culture but they're also like this is bullshit we don't give a crap and we want to go like i'm gonna give my boyfriend a blowjob or you know like and then it's things <laughs> of like oh god what does that do and and you know people will find out and we talk about this and you're like this is an entirely secular show mm. that has a huge theme right through it of deconstruction and i'm seeing it again and again and again in different popular 
latest media things. I think right. yeah, it's like a conversation Nats, people want to have. Yeah, oh, the, the absolutely, singer Lil Nas. right? Huge. Mm-hmm. In his huge. latest music video, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think this is why we're seeing Christians starting to go, oh, crap, we have to acknowledge this. We have to try and co-opt it. We have to try and control the narrative around yes. it. We have to redefine it. Like, But generally speaking, that only happens once it's kind of way too late anyway, if they can ever do any of those things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's mainstream at this point. Everyone has kind of noticed that the church is shrinking fast. There's massive amounts of people leaving. People are having these conversations in very public ways, you know, accounts like yours, podcasts, you know, um, mm-hmm. it, the conversation is happening. Um, and it's really yeah. interesting to see how media will facilitate that. And also what Christian media is going to come out to try and um, fix it. Oh, and I goodness. cannot wait. I am there for every one of them. <laughs> I have no idea what they're going to come up with, but I feel like God's not dead. You know, they, they -hmm. covered the atheist part. They covered the, you know, the typical atheist professor. And so I felt really like, Ooh, that was really cringy, but. It's so painful. um, It's like just all straw dog, right? It's like, Oh, well, this is an atheist. (laughs) And we can quickly dismantle this in one episode, one movie. And clearly any atheist that watches this is now going to get saved it's going to be like, changed did yeah. that ever happen i want to do like a poll of all of like america and go did any atheist get saved and i want that person to come on my podcast i so want to know that person and talk through how god's not dead saved them <laughs> like it's just fascinating i mean have me. you have you ever thought about why why are there atheists that become christians and why mm-hmm. are there christians that become atheists have you had your own philosophical idea on why that happens i have because... thoughts they're less philosophical and more psychological i think because <laughs> okay. i do think there's stages so generally speaking people that are christian in um in america and the uk they're generally at a conventional stage of um psychological development so as we grow we we go through these stages of developing you'll notice with kids young kids you'll in fact mm. what age was your daughter five do you say five yeah so I she's have a five-year-old and a two-year-old mm-hmm. oh my god right perfect so your two-year-old is almost certainly um at a stage that's often known as quite magical and is about to start transitioning and maybe already has started transitioning into a stage called power or control uh, or ego <laughs> yes and so she's starting to realize that you know what, the world isn't kind of magical and provides all my needs for me all the time. Um, it kind of does sort of, and this is quite magical. When I yell, mom, I want food, food shows up and it's kind of amazing. But sometimes oh I don't get food and I'm angry about it because I want to be in control. I want to get what I want. I'm a person. I start to realize, hey, sometimes the food mom brings, it's total horseshit. And I'm not, I'm done with that. I don't want that food. I want this food, right? And, and so it's a stage of development where you start to want your own things. You develop your own ego and, and it's all about power and control. And that's a really healthy thing to grow into and develop. We really want our toddlers to learn what their identity, who they are, what they like, what they don't like, but it is a pain in the ass, right? I mean, no one wants to actually mm-hmm. have to put up with that for a a few years, which is kind of what you have to do. Um, yeah. But long term, you can't stay there, right? If you stay at that stage and get to like 30, you're just a narcissistic asshole at that point, right? That's not a healthy thing to do. But some people do kind of stay largely at that stage where, and generally they end up in prison. They end up um, ending up with all sorts of addictions and, and um, they end up being violent and they have all sorts of, they basically are toddlers as adults in a lot of ways, yeah. right? And it gets them in a lot of problems. And the next stage beyond that, which your five-year-olds probably start to move into is called conventional. And it's a stage that most adults kind of hang around at as well. 
Um, and it's a stage where you start to go, you know what, me yelling and screaming and getting my own way works sometimes, but most of the time people just get pissed off with me and hate me. And before long, I get stuck in a room on my own or, you know, something happens. Or if you're an adult, I end up in prison or I end up as, <laughs> as my dictator, I end up beheaded and there's a new dictator who takes my place. So before long, they start to go, what if I just accept that there are rules and structure and I try and play along and I try and take part. And if I do, we all win and it all is kind of safe and certain and secure. And we can look to maybe a few people that are in charge and just trust that they know what's best and they'll tell us what's right and what's wrong. And this is generally speaking the next stage of childhood and, and development for humans. And most humans are looking for that in their faith. Most humans are looking for that in their society. They just want to feel certain, safe, secure. They want some leaders, a, a president, a pastor, a God to do this. Go, this is the way you live your life. You do that, you'll be okay, right, wrong. And I think generally speaking, the types of people that shift into Christianity that come from an atheistic place are usually out of places that are really unstable, usually still a person that's been heavily in that egoistic, um, egotistical power control, very unstable homes, usually in homes that have a lot of addiction, instability. They've never really felt in control themselves and have tried to fight for control their whole life and never found it. And suddenly they find this community that gives them safety, certainty, security, can tell them what's mm -hmm. right, what's wrong, you know, provide for them. Um, you know, you mentioned your, your husband, maybe coming from an environment where a single mom feels very unsafe a lot of the time yeah, and suddenly church exactly. provides all that for him. It's great. Um, and so whether you grow up Christian or not, you suddenly are like Christianity is very attractive and it fills all these needs. It's, it's, it's a positive, helpful development and growth. You could get into, you could do that growth without Christianity as well as other ways. Yeah. Um, go look at anywhere else in the world. People grow through that stage and find those things in many other faiths or no faith and communities and um, local things. But I think that's generally speaking, I reckon what's going on. A little sermonette or like little like psychology lesson or whatever. But, but I think generally speaking, <laughs> no, that that's what we see. That we, we see it in, in our, um, I mention it all the time in my podcast, but the, the study that they did in prisons where they looked at um, very progressive churches that are at much later stages than conventional. And they sent them into prisons and they said, go do your thing. Like see if you can get people saved and whatever. And they studied the people that got saved. They studied when they came out of prison, did they stay in church and did they end up back in prison? And then they looked at traditional churches and says, you do the same thing. And you and I maybe look at that and go, well, obviously the progressive churches that maybe understand restorative justice and they're maybe um, a little bit more progressive, they're more loving, they're more inclusive, they're a bit more savvy they maybe understand science and all these things they'll do mm -hmm. better right and they do terribly they do really mm. badly and they have high recidivism people that even the few people that get saved and come out and go into their churches and go back into prison really quickly on the whole but people that get saved in these traditional churches somewhere like the southern baptist you know they've got great prison ministries in a lot of ways they kind of don't go back into prison they kind of get plugged into a community and find safety and security and stability and Generally speaking, people that land in prison, not all people, there's a lot of reasons people end up in prison, but a lot of them coming out really are looking for stability. And that's one of the main things that will cause you not to go back into prison. Um, yeah. And so I think, sense, yeah, it's, huh? it's just really interesting. It's, it's fascinating why, why these things happen, but um, I think we'll see it less and less as we continue to grow as a species and evolve. I, I think yeah. Christianity as a conventional mm -hmm. method is not going to serve very well. Uh, no, absolutely term. not. <laughs> but that's my opinion. I'm sure many Christians would disagree, <laughs> especially the progressives. The progressive Christians all have their uh, ideological yeah, so future even, Christianity. 
so I don't, I don't know. So are you, are you not a Christian anymore? I don't know. I, I don't or, label myself. People can label me whatever they want. Um, I, I wouldn't call myself progressive Christian. I, I don't, I don't feel the need to like tie myself down to one kind of view or belief or set of uh, spiritual kind of principles. And so I, I take what helps from all kinds of spiritualities and secular humanistic kind of perspectives and forge my own path that kind of helps me frame meaning in the world and stuff. Like that. I don't know. How, how yeah. would you describe yourself? Um, well, I, I definitely tell people I'm not a Christian anymore. Um, yeah. And the general answer would be, yeah, like I'm spiritual and um, some days I'm atheist on a bad day and on a hopeful day, I'm agnostic. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So what my, are you hopeful my, of with your agnosticism? You know, you don't know, but you hope maybe. Yeah. Like whenever we're um, trying to pursue something like pursuing a goal, then I believe like, oh, there's got to be something out there that's helping me achieve this goal. Mm. And then, but then when the goal doesn't happen, then I'm like, oh, there's no God. <laughs> like there's yeah. nothing. Screw out you there. universe. <laughs> exactly. You inanimate piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> like none of this stuff is working. Like, so yeah. Funny. And I've, I've, I've explored, um, like a lot of different spiritualities, like the whole law of attraction, manifestation community and, and a little bit of astrology as well. And um, I don't know, I think I was attracted to that because it's so some people in the, in the deconstruction community have criticized the spiritual com community because they say it's just like Christianity. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I was attracted to that community because at least I can forge my own path. Like yeah. at least I can have my own destiny. Like I have the choice to do whatever I wanted as opposed in the Christian world. Like you don't get a choice. Like God chooses that yep. for you. Or if you have parents who are really Christian, especially if your dad is a pastor, then God is given the path yeah. for your life to your father. So your father knows the path for your life. Mm. And so that's why I was really drawn to the spiritual community and because I felt like I was given permission for the first time to think for myself and to forge my own path, to go for my own goals and my dreams in life, which is something that I never felt like I could have in the Christian yeah. world. Yeah. Did you, did you ever consider exploring um, traditions from your background as, as a Filipino woman? Like, you know, did you ever consider like, like oh, the, what were the indigenous kind of spiritualities yeah. and, and faiths of, of my people before they were colonized, right? Because you mentioned, right. oh yeah, people feel a bit that they're Southern Baptists. And it's like, eh, probably not that long ago, that was not right. an option, right? That wasn't on the, the choice of tickets in in, uh, in the Philippines, really. Like if you go no, back yeah, a few I'm hundred years. <laughs> definitely, yeah, I'm definitely on this decolonizing journey and I still have so much to learn. Just like mm. realizing that, yeah, like a few years ago, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware or I didn't even think that uh, my ancestors were indigenous. Like I just mm. never really, I just never thought about it. Like I knew that um, the Spaniards ruled over the Philippines for like 300 years and brought Catholicism and, and then even Filipinos to this day, you know, like they're hardcore Catholics and they don't want mm -hmm. to let that go. And they actually criticize people to that become Protestant. Like yeah. they, there's this really famous um, boxer named Manny Pacquiao 
that used to be Catholic, but then he converted to basically evangelicalism and, oh, the whole country was just like, oh, that's why you're losing in your matches now because you're not Catholic anymore. Like you betrayed the Catholic faith. And so it's very, um, yeah, they, they hold on to their Catholic views. And so there is this, there is a question going around in the Filipino community that, that the people who want to decolonize, the question is, can a Filipino still practice Catholicism and still decolonize? Mm. Can they, can they, can a Filipino decolonize and still practice Catholicism? Right. So that's a question that's being discussed right now in the Filipino community. And some people say yes. And some people say, no, absolutely not. So sure. Yeah, I, I know I've, I've had this conversation with Joe as well, because obviously she's very vocal about kind of being um, mm-hmm. Christian still and holding to kind of more liberation theology and stuff. But yeah. obviously, um, you know, from her background, um, being a Colombian woman like that, mm-hmm. if you go back far enough, that wasn't Christian, right? That again was yeah. the, the Spaniards and, and, and other yeah, people the, like coming in and bringing yeah. that. Our stories and, are very similar. Basically, the yeah. entire South America... And then obviously some parts of Asia, like the Philippines, all ruled by Spaniards. Mm-hmm. They had sex with all the na- to the native indigenous people there and brought their own language. So yeah, it's a very similar story. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it's a really complex one as well, I guess, because culture does evolve in a sense, you mm-hmm. know? So even if you go back before Christianity was there, what someone would have practiced spiritually in the Philippines 500 years ago versus what they practiced 6,000 years ago or whenever, you know, mm-hmm. people first kind of landed on the shores of the Philippines, um, that probably had changed over time and, and become different and evolved. And so I think there's a, na- a natural part of things changing and evolving, but suddenly when you have people coming in from a very external place and going, okay, no choice, uh, you are just becoming this, um, it, it's hard for people to come to terms with the fact that, well, this is part of my culture now. You go 300 years in, you know nothing else. Yeah. And yet, and, and for many people, there is no indigenous beliefs to fall back onto. It's just been wiped sure. out. I don't know what that looks like in the Philippines. Are there communities that still hold to there kind are. of like very traditional mm-hmm. kind of beliefs? And, yeah. yeah. There's still tra- um, there's still people in the mountains that practice the... Um, indigenous beliefs that the Spaniards sure. never conquered. They they didn't want to, they stayed mostly on the coastal areas, I've heard. They didn't want to go into the mountains. It was like too hard to reach them, I guess. Right. I don't know. I mean, but, I don't want to go up a mountain, so I get it. Yeah. Like, that sounds like hard work. Yeah, so there are definitely parts, um, indigenous tribes in the Philippines that the Spaniards weren't able to conquer or, right. or, or to touch. And so there are still people. And I think another aspect, really complicated aspect to decolonize is the fact that um filipinos like before the term filipino there there wasn't filipinos right because the colonizers gave filipinos that name right but um to take it a step further the indigenous filipinos are actually they're no longer the indigenous people of they're no longer that pure race because a Filipino is actually half Spaniard, half indigenous. So I think that's still a hard conversation to have with other Filipinos who want to decolonize because no, you're actually half Spaniard. So Mm. what part of you are you decolonizing? And because you're, because now you're half 
you're a colonizer. Wow. So <laughs> it's a tough conversation. That's that complex. I have a, <laughs> it's very complex. Oh, wow. Lordy. Because that's the identity of a Filipino is an yeah. indigenous person from those islands and a Spaniard. Like we have Spanish blood running through our veins. Mm. And so I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but it's something that I've become aware of in the last few weeks. <laughs> yeah. Matt. Yeah. That's, I've never thought of that overly as a concept. And it's going to yeah, be, like it's going to be the same in all of South America and all of Latin America. It's in Central America. It's going to be the same thing. So, and, yeah. and Mexicans, because I, being living in California, it's funny because our cultures are so like, so similar and our, our food is similar. Like um, our language is similar. The type of food we eat is similar and, and they're going, they're the same. They're half indigenous and then they're half Spaniard. Yeah. And so I don't know. It's, it's a really <laughs> weird component. You know, you look at someone like a white nationalist, it's like, oh, we're terrified of white people being lost because so many people from different backgrounds are getting together and marrying and they're terrified of like, you know, th this concept. Um, and yet there's this weird dynamic of like, we are slowly as we evolve as a, as a human species, we're crossing borders constantly. We're meeting new people. We're mixing with new groups. And, and part of our, who we are, our identity is getting more and more blurry and mm -hmm. kind of confusing and gray, right? Because I move, I'm married to an English person. I'm Scottish. Okay. So we're not far apart, but you know what? That's a pretty big rivalry. Those two don't usually yeah. click very well, right? Historically. Right. And so, so what is our kid now? Is it Scottish? Is it English? Well, I don't know, right? But that's way more complex when you start to go, oh yeah, and now there's my friend who's Scottish who's um, married to someone from Uganda. So what's their kid? Is they, Are they Scottish? Are they from Uganda? Like what traditions and what like values do they hold and, and bring from their tradition? Like that becomes messy. And then you do this millions of times over multiple generations, over um, healthy... Um, you know, healthy unions across borders can happen, of course, in lots of amazing and wonderful ways. And then you throw in very unhealthy mixes, right? Where you go, the Spaniards coming into our village and yeah. raping and pl plundering and killing us. That's right. less healthy. Not not so healthy as, you know, like you meet at the airport and you go, oh my gosh, you like Chipotle right. too, you know, or whatever. And you go on a date and it's amazing. It's beautiful. That's a different story. Um, but on the whole, this this whole conversation of, our identity, our tradition, you know, going back to our roots is such a complex thing that I think we often don't talk about the, the complexities of that and how to navigate that, you know, it's, it's well, weird. Yeah. And, and I say, oh, yeah, we, I'm definitely talking about <laughs> probably me as a white person that doesn't have to think about a lot of these things. I mean, so yeah. I think white people should decolonize too, because my Usually. husband is, my husband is half Polish a quarter Dutch and a quarter Danish. And even in that whole area of Europe, you know, I know they, they had their own, like the Dutch and Danish, they had their, their own, they were Vikings. Right. I think right. like they had their huge, own huge colonization. And, yeah. Yeah. So I think white people should decolonize too. Absolutely. Like their own heritage. And, but so my children are, so yeah, they're half Filipino, half white, basically. But I've been having conversations with other kids that are biracials to, because <laughs> I brought these biracial 
humans into the world. So I'm responsible for their <laughs> mental health now that I wasn't aware of. I wasn't aware of all of these issues that can happen yeah. when you're biracial. And so I'm learning to teach them that, no, you're not like half Filipino and half white. You're, you are Filipino and you are yes. white. You're both. Perfect. And, and so I, I want to teach my, my children that they're, they're not half of something. They're, they're both, they're, they're both mm. whole parts. But, um, but what you said about like, um, oh, what was I going to say? You, you said a lot of things that I could totally unpack, but I wanted <laughs> I to say, it, but... <laughs> like, why is it important for us to learn about our heritage? Like, why is yeah. it important for us to learn about our, our, our ancestors? And for me, it's important for me because we need to learn about our, like people go into their childhood to, to heal from their trauma and to realize like, why am I the way I am? Right. Mm. So when someone starts to wonder that about themselves, they go to a therapist and their therapist asks them, well, how did you grow up? How was your childhood? Right. But I would take it a step further and say, not only go into your childhood, go into your ancestors. Because when you learn about your ancestors on all the struggles that they went through, that's where you're going to find your limiting beliefs. Mm. Like what, like how you perceive the world. And this is not just about like religion, but your own philosophy of like how things work in the world. You know, oh. and for me, I found that um, the limiting beliefs that my parents had, even just in the last 50 years or a century, is that they have to come to America because there wasn't abundant life in the Philippines, right? Like immigrants come to America in the, the reason or the entirety of American history, I guess, is for a better life, right? Because they weren't right. able to live the life that they could in their country. But if these colonizers didn't come to these other countries, then it's like they wouldn't have needed to leave. Like right. if they were just left yeah. alone, then they wouldn't have needed to leave. So I guess that's like the bigger, that's like the bigger picture, like the zoomed out picture. But mm. I think like the zoomed in picture is for me is that, um, so my parents came here because they weren't able, there's not like a lot of opportunities in the Philippines. And since there's not a lot of, there's, because there's a lot of people, and there's a lot of people because the government is corrupt. And why is the government corrupt? Because um, they're taking money from the people, right? We had the famous president, um, Marcos, if you heard of him, he took, he was a dictator basically in the Philippines for like 20 years. And even though they actually have elections there, he, he <laughs> uh, some people compare him to Trump actually. So it's kind of funny. And uh, to him and also du Duarte, who was the current president. But anyway, um, there's a dictatorship there and he was taking all the money from the people and his wife was like buying a zoo. She bought a zoo. She, she transported. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. I saw this documentary. She transported um, animals like giraffes and zebras from Africa and had them ship to the Philippines and she commandeered Whoa. an island there that people were living and she put the animals there and they're still there to this day but um it's crazy that's a documentary i want to watch but keep yeah going. it's called the kingmaker I'll, I'll message you about it later but my point is is that where did they get that idea to conquer right. and i think they got that idea from colonizers 
right? Mm -hmm. Because before colonizers were there, they were just tribal people minding their own business. They, I mean, I'm sure they had their own issues with different tribes and everything, but you wouldn't, Filipinos wouldn't have had to hustle so hard and to get to another dream promised land if colonizers weren't there in the first place. So Mm. it's just like, I don't know, there's just, a lot to unpack. Like I'm learning about the difference between having an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset. And, and yeah, there's definitely a lot of scarcity mindsets in third world countries. And yeah. it's, I wouldn't say it's their fault though, you know, but yeah, it's anyway, it's, there's so much in it though. Of course, like I, I'm mm-hmm. learning more and more of my heritage and Scottish people are proud people. Um, mm-hmm. And we yeah we were probably the, some of the first countries colonized right or some of the first yeah. regions in the uk i mean england took over scotland's before they even started tackling half the world you know but they got a quarter of the world under their wing england one quarter of the world that's wow unbelievable 25 percent of landmass belonged to england because they rocked up stuck mm-hmm. a flag in there shot all the guys raped all the women like you know is right colonization but we were heavily involved in that scottish people we don't know saying it but i, I imagine there's plenty of scottish people that are like yeah this is part of who we are we were proud as well we're part of this empire and you know like and, and we we were part of that and and i look at um I, I watched documentary recently on the kkk and i found out gosh it was scottish people that started the kkk it was these scottish mm-hmm. landlords in the south that after um uh, slavery had been ended and the emancipation and they went we're uncomfortable with this because we have all these black slaves. We don't like that that's changing. We feel disempowered. We've got this huge properties and lands and suddenly there's a lot no of No one's black working people on them. We don't own them and there's no one working on them. And yeah. there's a lot of them and not many of us and we don't have the power over them anymore. And so they started these mm. reigns of terror through the KKK and it was Scottish landlord owners. And as you look at this and um, and it's so unstabilizing to go oh this is part of my country my nation there's something in who we are that is capable of that and desire Mm -hmm. to do that i don't know i'm not saying if i was a scottish person that far ago and i moved to america i'd do the same thing but i probably would have right i mean that probably would have been my story um and just coming to terms with that and then going oh how have scottish people benefited from that system how have scottish people harmed through those systems and trying to figure out how do i even become responsible to make reparations for that and, and things like that it's, it's an absolute um it's a minefield and yeah as a whole for a scottish person it's relatively simple right so i'm explaining how complex this feels for me trying to process but i'm like you know what i'm some white scottish guy that i can trace my family on both sides and it's pretty much scottish the whole way occasionally an english person or something sneaks in but it's basically (laughs) scotland but it does get complex when when you like you say you go no i am filipino and i am spanish that's part of my tradition those two but gosh you speak to most americans and they're like well i'm like one sixteenth italian and i'm an eighth this and i'm a quarter that and you're like geez that's a lot of stuff to you know if you're going to do yeah. the work and look back and go what's part of my story what's part of what made my family who we are and what are those stories that went through our generations and and shaped how i grew up and the way i see the world that's a complex story for for a huge portion yeah. of people 
especially in a settled land somewhere like America, where people were coming from all, there's people already there. And then a whole bunch of people from very different places all show up as well. Like it's a, it's a, it's a hotbed for a very complex background for most people there, unless you're a really racist yeah. Scottish people that would only sleep with Scottish people. Right. Um, but yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a lot of hard work. It's not oh, for gosh. the the meek and heart. <laughs> yeah. No, I honestly, uh, it, it's, I'm constantly aware of this. Like I, I remember talking to Joe about it last year when I was continuing to dive into anti-racism work and I, and I was telling her, I'm like, I got myself into a state where I was so stressed. I wasn't like able to like, I was waking up feeling tired and stressed because I wasn't even sleeping mm -hmm. well. And I, it's because I was spending hours and hours trying to do anti-racist work and dive deep. And I also decided to do anti-sexist work at the same time. Cause I was like, well, I should just do it. And it was just, it was a lot. Um, and I was like, I'm, on the wrong side of both of these right and and it's <laughs> so exhausting and i look at someone yeah. who's actively doing this work and you have decolonization on two whole separate components to deal with and you have been on the other end of much worse things right you have been on the receiving end of white supremacy and all these kind of toxic uh, to toxic components you've been on the receiving mm. end of the patriarchy um you know there's all these different components it must be utterly exhausting i think it's, it's a thing that i just think as a white person i just i can't fathom what it's like you know how exhausted i get trying to read some books and understand for a few weeks versus living it's, it non-stop i mean i i think it's <laughs> yeah you know and i think it's going to be exhausting for anyone that isn't aware in the first place there's so many things that mm. i'm unaware of um i'm unaware of the queer experience i don't know what it's like to be queer i don't know sure um that's an experience that i'm unaware of and but as we as people are willing to i think you know i i appreciate white people like you that are willing to learn though and are willing to listen to people of color like me and that's honestly um really encouraging to me because because people of color in america cannot dismantle white supremacy like we need white people right. to dismantle yeah white supremacy not just in america but all over the world so yeah absolutely we do need allies and and it's gonna take because and i i posted a post on my personal facebook page last year when blm was happening and i expressed that you know like white people only listen to white people and some people were really offended by that and they're like no you i listen to people of color all the time blah blah i'm like okay obviously there's like, exceptions, but my general point was that white people have the biggest influence right now in America and even people of color listen to white people. So if it's anyone mm -hmm. that's going to make major changes in this country, it's going to be white people. Like, and we need white people to be our allies. We, we don't need to be bashing white people. Like we need them to be on our side and, and to understand and, and who are willing to listen and, and who we're willing to work with. And, and um to learn from each other's experiences and so and and yeah it takes like all cultures and all races to to be aware of of everything but i really do feel like white people are still the biggest influence in this country in america mm -hmm. and so that's why we do need white people to continue to speak up to continue to do the anti-racist work because i posted recently on my page that i can't Every time I've talked about white privilege with a white person, like their fragility just reeks, especially when I talked about it with um, 
some white evangelicals from the church that I was attending pre-COVID, you know, I was like talking to them on Instagram and Facebook last summer and everything. It was just like a huge mess Mm. and they weren't listening to me. And, you know, it was heartbreaking because these were people that I've been going to Bible study with for like five years and our children have played together. And so, yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people have lost friendships over the last year or so, but it's like, um, like I didn't want, it's not, the point wasn't to like offend them. It was, the point was you have, like white people have the biggest influence in this country right now. And I just don't understand why a white person would be offended by that, but it's tough. I, as a very fragile person, I am constantly aware of that thing that rises in me that goes, nah, uh, not me. I, what do you mean? I'm like that. What do you mean? Like, I'm not listening. What do you mean? Like that thing that rises in me that wants to defend myself, to posture myself, to be right all the time and be the, the most powerful person in the room and all of that stuff. Like, God, I get it. Like, uh, so I, I don't know what that is in me. Like, it's, it's white supremacy. It's, it's patriarchy. It's, your it's a ancestors. whole bunch of things. Um, let's blame <laughs> yeah. the Scottish. Um, you know, but like, you know, that is in me, and I, and I see it, um, and it does. It's, it, it's, it's scary to see, and yet I, I kind of have got to the point now where I'm almost excited when I spot it. I'm almost like, oh, look, look, fragility. Like that's that's cool. Like I, I like that. Like because it, it's something I can spot and go, oh, there's something. Because you're aware I, of it. I, I'm I'm learning right now, and there's mm-hmm. an opportunity for me if I can be the the big boy in my big pants and go, oh, I don't have to throw a temper tantrum right now. I don't have to try and shut down this conversation because it's making me uncomfortable. What I have to do is lean in further and go, why is this making me uncomfortable? Like, what is it mm-hmm. in me that is being exposed here that I need to change? Uh, and that's not to brag and say I do it all the time. Most of the time, I probably shut down. I probably, it's maybe in one ear and out the other. I, I'm so aware of those components in me, those defensive kind of mechanisms that are like, you don't want to go there right now, Phil. Like, you don't have the capacity or I'm scared. or And it's maybe a lot of it is subconscious. I do, I do think so much of our issues with race are... Um, they're, you know, they're implicit issues, systemic issues that most of the time are very subconscious, you know, I don't, and I think that's the problem for a lot of white fragility. I think people are like, well, I'm not walking around like in a white hood, um, saying the N word and, and, you know, being terribly racist. And it's like, no, of course you're not actually most people aren't welcome to the real world. Let's move on and have a conversation (laughs) that's based in 2020. What does racism look like more often now? right? Like we're not talking about what does racism look like in the 1930s, you know, like let's Mm -hmm. grow up here. I'm not accusing you of that. Um, But I think there's something in me that, that is so upset with that, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm so, so aware of that. And and I think, yeah, we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. And like, that's why I think, yeah, it's absolutely so important for white people to decolonize because of just what you said. Like, you don't know why you're feeling this way. And it's because of your ancestors. It's because of the mentality that your ancestors have had this whole time. And that's like brought down to you from generations to generations. And that's why you feel that way. And so, mm-hmm. but as you continue to learn and be aware and decolonize, you know, and I see that you've been already doing that work, you know, I feel like that's that's good you know i'm not and... i'm not looking for uh, compliments but thank you i do appreciate <laughs> that but uh I, but do, I do you feel like... hope with it though do you do you look around because because there's a thing of you know 
you're you're going gosh we need white people right because let's be honest right maybe maybe biden's a bit better than trump but let's be honest who's biden going <laughs> to listen to right this old gonna white guy to he's gonna listen to some other old white guys Democratic right Party, um, yeah. and certainly if we go back to someone that's on the other side of the aisle we're going to need some white people to be talking to that president that's making rules and the senators that are voting we need some white people influencing them whatever mm -hmm. that is right whether it's rich businesses greasing their wheels or whatever <laughs> it's going to be white people um and and I guess, do you look at that and, because it feels like there's a change, you know, I, I, the, the marches have happened recently around race. It feels like there, there's so much more uh, white faces in those marches than have ever been in any kind of uh, racial mm -hmm. marches in the past. And maybe part of that is very 2020 virtual signaling and like, you know, performative. Yeah, and I, I think that's definitely there. But I do think a big part of it as well is people are waking up. But do you feel hopeful about it? It feels like there's a lot of work to be done. I don't know. I feel hopeful in when people are starting to deconstruct their faith. <laughs> that's you think as that, far do you think as my hope goes. Do you think that's a bigger, not a bigger problem that this right word, but uh, maybe a, a, big a, part. a primary step? Do you think it's possible to yeah. decolonize without deconstructing? Is it possible to, I've never, I, I've heard it the other way. Is it possible to deconstruct without decolonizing? And I think they just go both hand in hand. Like right. you, if you just deconstruct your faith, you are still, you could still hold up patriarchy. You could still hold up white supremacy. You can still, yeah. because when a big part of it is deconstructing the religion in America because this is still the biggest influence in America. Mm. And like up until the last few years, evangelicals were like the, um, what is it called? Like moral authority in America. Yeah. So evangelicals have a lot of influence on this country. And so my hope is that as people continue to deconstruct and decolonize from Christianity, that we can go into the direction where we can um, dismantle Christian supremacy, white supremacy, and and all of that. Mm. But it is, yeah, I can't look beyond that point personally. Right. <laughs> I don't know you, how other baby people steps. of color feel, but yeah, it's definitely baby steps. But I know that I can start with myself. I know I can start with my own family and my own children and. Um, and like teaching them and being aware and loving them and not bringing, I was just thinking about this the other day, you know, like I, we always want to do diff, we always want to do better than how our parents raised us, obviously. Right. And, um, I can fall into the trap where like, I'm never going to be like my parents. I'm never going to do what they did. I'm going to do things like my way and it's going to be totally better which is fine but then I am still going to mess up and I'm still going there's going to be some things I'm going to mess up on and I'm still going to do but as long as I recognize it I recognize it now yeah. like I'm more aware of it now and and also I don't want to be naive and think oh my children are never going to be harmed like they're nothing bad is going to happen to them because I'm going to make sure that nothing bad is going to happen to them which is exactly what my parents were thinking right. when they were being every parent has ever said that yeah <laughs> i'm not no, gonna do the like, same that my parents did <laughs> yeah so it's like i 
yeah, I definitely still don't. I know my parent, my children are going to be harmed and they're going to have struggles and hardships in some way. I just hope that, um, I hope that I'm not doing most of it. <laughs> like I hope yeah. the harm is not coming from me. Like if I could just have the harm not come from me, if I can be the safe haven for my children instead of the ones harming them, then I think that's something that I'll be happy with. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's how the world changes, right? Like yeah, these incremental changes, and... if you can just change yourself, uh, that can change. I mean, your kids start from such a further ahead place when that's just like, yes. Hey, it was only my school and this and that, and you know, like TV and all the other things I'm sure that will influence us in different ways. But like, yeah, I mean, that would be a huge deal. If you can, if you can just tick those boxes, <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it's, it's been so good to chat Fresca. I'm aware that yeah. we're, we're slowly running out of time, but uh, we'll have you back on. Maybe I'll be on time. You know what? You're, I think you're the first person I've been late for and I, I feel terrible. I'm like hundred <laughs> episodes in and I'm like, all right. So I've, I'm really sorry. I don't know how I managed to. Okay. Uh, uh, to just I thought something, completely... well, I mean, something was going to happen with my kids. So I'm like, I don't know. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. I have no excuses. This is the thing. You've got kids. Like that's a good excuse. I like, I don't know. just got distracted talking to my wife. Like uh, that's not particularly great excuse <laughs> for being late. Um, but yeah, it's okay. no, it's, well, it's been really I'm, I'm happy cool. to be here. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm, I'm happy that you asked me to be on here. So I'm, I'm grateful and thanks for having me. No, it's, it's an honor. It's tell people how can they, engage with you follow you yeah you know you've got your podcast instagram like yeah so i else? have an instagram i have an instagram called confessions of a pastor's kid underscore um no apostrophe so someone can reach me there i also have an email because i know not everyone has instagram uh, my email is confessions of a pastor's kid zero eight at gmail.com nice so, i'll get that yeah that's that's where people can reach me. <laughs> You're so much nicer than me. I literally am like, if you don't have an Instagram, <laughs> you can set one up. Like, <laughs> so you've made it like a backup option for people. Um, that's so funny. Well, I literally I had someone set up an Instagram the other day for it. Well, neither, neither do I. I hate using yeah, Facebook. Um, I, I hate Facebook. I have one set yeah. up that automatically posts from Instagram and I just don't even check it anymore. It's just, oh, okay. That's a good idea. Hmm. It's, yeah, it's just not helpful. So I, I just, stop checking it and i was like yeah you send me messages on there i just won't see it sign me something <laughs> on instagram but uh no that's been great and so your podcast is called confessions of a pastor's kid as well big question yes. i've got for you was confessions mm -hmm. of a pastor's kid already taken on instagram that you had to use an underscore yeah yeah it was um that's a, there's that's a very this guy... uh, unique handle <laughs> yeah there's a guy that wrote a book actually oh. Um, this, um, yeah, but I, I don't know. He's not very active on it. So right. I didn't, I don't know. I, I still feel like if someone types in confessions of a pastor's kid, my, my handle's going to pop up because it's more you're, active. You're going to win it. Cause you're more active. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way yeah. it's just funny, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. <laughs> it's just funny. Sometimes you're like, wait, Oh, that's already taken. That's a pretty unique like phrase. Um, you know, it took me I guess a, while it's a lot of pastor's kids with confessions to make, right? <laughs> It took me, I, I had a list of 10 handles and I went over them with my husband and um, the one, his choice was Naughty Little Church Girl. <laughs> Ooh, I nice. Like, I typed in Naughty, like 
snotty little girl on Instagram. And I was like, immediately I, all these um, accounts popped up and I was like, oh, actually I don't want to be associated with all these accounts. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe I should have chosen that handle. Cause maybe I, I would have gone more hit, Catchy. you know, yeah. it's you totally go. possible. I, I, I could have gone that route, but I decided not to, I don't know. I That's like so confessions. Funny. I like confessions yeah. of a pastor's kid because it's like, um, I don't know. I hope people feel like they're learning about my deepest, darkest secrets. On yeah, publicly, absolutely. It on draws you in, journal. right? I want a confession. Like, sign me up for some of that. I, I literally <laughs> got a message from someone the other day and they were like, I'm a pastor's kid and I'm going to start an Instagram. Like, here's a couple of ideas I have for a name. What do you suggest? And I was like, I don't know. They're both pretty good or, you know, like whatever. And I literally said, go message like Fresca. And I gave her a few people's accounts that are pastor's kids. And I'm like, there's quite a few people out there that are pastor's kids in this yeah. space. Not all of them are about being a pastor's kid, but I don't know if they messaged you, but uh, uh, yeah, no, I was just like, I didn't get that message, but <laughs> someone like wanted to like gear it all around being a pastor's kid. And I was like, you're the person I know that is doing it. I'm a pastor's kid, everyone. Um, most of us yeah, pastor kids are like, keep your head down. Don't exactly, let anyone know. That was like exactly my life growing up. Do not tell anyone you're a pastor's kid. <laughs> well, that's exactly why I, I made it about being a pastor's kid because I didn't find any accounts that wow. that yeah. um, were about being a pastor's kid. And like one thought in my, one part of it is probably like, oh, maybe because they're still really in touch with their family and they don't want to like, you know, come out. It's, it's a very yeah. big thing. And, and so, um, yeah, that's why I wanted to start one. I was like, I have to start one, you know? So, you yeah. know, you know, the pastor's kids are like, I want to follow confessions of a pastor's kid. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, the shit I have we can least... say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've gone to meet a lot of other pastor's kids that are resonate with my story. And it's, it's been really cool because yeah, for so many years I was in the dark. I didn't know there was another pastor's kid that felt the same way as I did. I knew pastor's right. kids in my life and that I've known through my whole life, but I didn't have the courage to ask them, Hey, are you feeling this way too? Are yeah. you questioning God? Are you, are you not like into this as we're, you know, as we're, and there's a pressure for like, us to perform, to be seen this. Mm-hmm. How much do you hear? Well, certainly not the pastor's kid or like, Oh, well, they're the pastor. And you're like, I am not superhuman. I am yeah. not the person you think I am. And yet it seems exactly. I have to try and pretend that. And so like, even more so you don't see the, the questioning, but they man pastors yeah. deconstruct hard like yeah. hard and fast <laughs> yeah we do but anyway yeah no, so. it's great to chat fresca thank you so much yeah. for coming on i really appreciate it um and we'll, we'll chat again for sure and we'll stay in touch anyway. okay yeah we'll thanks for having i'll me. let you know when this All comes right. out I, I i'm kind of juggling the last, next few weeks but it'll be soon i sure. think it'll be either next week or, or the week after but yeah okay All right. no problem All right. have catch a good day Bye. Yeah, bye. All right. That was Fresca Chavez. And it is Confessions of a Pastor's Kid underscore on Instagram. And it is Confessions of a Pastor's Kid on your favorite podcast app. Whatever you use, I'm sure you will find it. Um, do reach out to her on Instagram, shoot her a DM and let her know that you love this podcast, that you what let her know what you liked about what she said or how it maybe impacted you. Um, that's always a, a really nice thing to, to get some nice messages after you've spent um, an hour and a half talking to me. I'm sure uh, you need it. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, check out the Deconstruction Network. As I said at the beginning, if you're going through this process and you want to connect with people locally, it's worth checking the deconstructionnetwork.com to see if there's people locally to you that you can message. It's all free. Um, and, and 
not going through this completely alone makes a huge difference. If you're looking for online community and you want to support what I'm doing, it's patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, and that obviously would make a big difference to me. I'd be very grateful. Um, but always, you can shoot me a message on Instagram. I'm just Phil Drysdale. Um, I'm always happy to chat, always happy to connect. There's no reason for you to be completely alone in this process. And so please do reach out if you need to talk to someone. Um, yeah, and, and everything else is out there. The, the resources, everything you'll find via my Instagram or, or my website, phildrysdale.com. All right, I love you all. I hope you're well. And I'll see you next week for another podcast. Peace.